anybody's done electrical engineering it's like a huge tick mark because like it's a struggle wow i got i got goosebumps when you were talking about it. one of the police organizations that that uses the tool they contacted us and they were like hey there is someone who actually got kidnapped and we're trying to find them can you help us Hey there, it's Saga here and you are listening to Which Profession, a podcast in which I'm interviewing people who will tell you about their professions, what they do in their jobs, and a lot more. In this episode, I'm talking to Aishwarya, who is a head of customer success at a cybersecurity company. In the interview, she will tell you about what she does in her daily professional life, how she ended up becoming head of customer success, and more about her background in electrical and power engineering, as well as her passion for computers. We'll also touch upon the topic of women in tech and how to encourage more women participation in tech. As a side note, the name of the movie and the link to the interview she mentioned will be in the show note, just in case you are very curious to check it out. All right, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode and learn something new. Hi, Aish. Thank you so much for taking time uh, to be a guest of this episode. I'm really excited about our upcoming interview and to get to know more about your profession, your experience and your background. It's super interesting. So I'd say that I will jump right into my first question, which is about your profession. Can you please tell me a little bit about, uh, first of all, just a short introduction about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Aiga. Yeah, so my name is Aishwarya. Uh, I come from India and now I live in uh, Munich in Germany. What I do right now is I head customer success at a company called Multigo Technologies. Multigo is a tool that's used worldwide by uh, cybercrime investigators for cybersecurity operations, trust and safety teams. And basically the tool is used quite a lot for link analysis, which is basically your, you know, your typical investigator who's doing, you know, analysis on like who did the crime and where did they do it? And they're linking it all with this thread like they do in movies. That's what the tool does. It helps you bring lots of different data sets together and map it across. And my role as head of customer success is to make make them successful with the tool. So they can basically use the tool and in case they are facing some issues, they can address you. And so they are happy using the tool, basically. Exactly. It's more of a relationship management in a sense. So from the company perspective, it's more about maintaining that customer, retaining them in terms of revenue, as well as like making sure that they feel successful with the tool and that the tool sticks in the company. Right. So that is basically one of the the key goals in, in the role that I have. And of course, it's a big part of it, a big chunk of it doesn't really look at, you know, the money aspect or anything. It looks more at like building a relationship with a person and and and, and building like something trustworthy where they come to you, not just when things go wrong, but even when things are going great, they're able to confide in you. So that's that's basically what I do. Interesting. The industry you work in in your tool is so amazing. It's, <laughs> I think it's not so usual to meet a person who works for uh, in, in a cybersecurity environment or industry. And the next question related to that, can you please describe the industry or cybersecurity to the person who has never heard about it before? Sure. So it's quite a broad term that I think cybersecurity, you can't just like zero it in on on something super specific. It can mean a lot of things. And it does mean a lot of things from the context of the tool that we we you know produce and sell. 
So there are different kinds. One is, of course, from the law enforcement perspective, which is protecting people like you and me, which is protecting, you know, the countries and states, basically avoiding terror attacks, reducing or or completely eliminating illegal weapon trade or drug trade, or even like, you know, poaching animals and wildlife, you know, illegal wildlife poaching. So there's that aspect. Then from a corporate side, there is also just cybersecurity ops, which has to do with just making sure the infrastructure is safe, making sure that, you know, Externally and internally, people are safeguarded. So, you know, people who are customers of a company aren't attacked. People who are employees of the company aren't attacked by by a cybercrime, you know, attack such as like a phishing attack or so on and so forth. So that's that's basically, you know, the cybersecurity side of it, where you, where where you're not only taking care of external threats, so you know all of these hackers and all of those sort of things, but also internal threats. So you're taking care of no employee is a threat to the company, and no employee is leaking, you know, information inside the company. There's that aspect, and then of course a segment of that is this this whole trust and safety aspect, which comes, you know, from companies like, uh, you know, your your e-commerce companies like Amazon, eBay, and PayPal, and so on and so forth. They primarily take care that you, as a customer who's using their services in attack, your credit card information is not stolen. Your, your, you know, somebody's not illegally using your profile to send money and you know get money as well. So yeah, so there are a lot of different aspects to it, and 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 that's that's basically what cybersecurity overall covers. So as you can see, it's like huge. It's it's there are so many 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 aspects to it, and even I am learning like from one day to the other. So it's, it's quite a cool field and yeah, every day there's like something or the other to learn. So yeah, that's, that's basically what it, what it covers. It's, it sounds very, I'd say like out of this world. It's not like, it's not the usual thing that you would always think about, you know, like whenever you use digital media, internet or anything related to digital space, it's mm-hmm. very good to hear that people are working in this field, that there are so many things happening to protect us uh, consumers from these things happening. And so now you, you, you explained me in which industry you work, which is so interesting, and your role as a head of customer success. Can you describe your average day at work or home <laughs> office um, <laughs> in the current Corona times, starting from, okay, you, you just open your laptop. How does your day uh, go on afterwards? <laughs> It's quite an interesting question, actually, because the it changes from day to day, really. Um, you can never be like, you know, there's this always this, um, <laughs> there are these uh, things which help you prepare for the next day, like, oh, set your clothes aside and like write down your to-do list. This to-do list part never actually becomes like something that I can do because every day is so different. So my role specifically uh, comes from the head off side of things. So like I manage all of the customer success aspects of things. So I have a team under me and my role is to take care that they feel also successful in what they do. So I have, I would say around 20 to 30% of my, my time goes in high level customer interaction. So I try to support our larger customers with the work that they do. And then most of my other time goes off in basically, you know, fine tuning processes and supporting the team and and helping them kind of become better at what they do. And that, of course, changes from day to day. So like on some days, there's a crisis in terms of like people not being able to do their best at work and you need to support them. There could be a breakdown in the product itself. There could be a bug. There could be something or the other because of which we need to notify our customers, which which is not an easy task because, you know, our tool can be quite central to the work that they do which means like 
hundreds and five hundreds and thousands of 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 people in a in large MNCs basically don't have anything to do the entire day because the tool is down. So it's a lot of you know responsibility, and I think that is what we call firefighting. So some days it's just like firefighting the entire day, and we're just trying to you know like put those fires out, and then. Some days are quite relaxing where we're just, you know, kind of either just doing a usual, you know, email reach out or, you know, just trying to talk to customers, which is always very interesting. Like talking to, I love talking to people. So, you know, talking to customers is like always you learn something or the other, either about the industry, either about the work that they've been doing on the tool or just something cool that they've discovered that they want to also need, they also need your help with, with, you know, finding out. So one of the examples I can take is like one of the police organizations that that uses the tool they contacted us and they were like hey there is someone who actually got kidnapped and we're trying to find them can you help us kind of with this investigation so it's you really like we're doing work that impacts people's lives from day to day and we're like you know I've always grown up with this thing of like oh I need to like make a difference in this world and this role kind of attaches itself to that right so yeah that's my day in a nutshell I guess Paul, I could I could feel like your excitement when you were talking about the day, which is the best thing, you know, whenever I ask about professions. So, so in a nutshell, it will be like you are head of customer success. You have to make sure that your customers are successful. They are enjoying using the product, which actually includes talking to them often, reaching out to them directly, but also managing people under you who will reach them out and taking care of the customers. Also exactly. depends on the day, right? When the urgent issue yeah. appears, you'll have to <laughs> exactly. tackle those urgent issues. And I liked your example, to be honest. Thank you so much for a life example. It's so interesting to hear yeah. like specifics of what your day involves. So I heard a, a lot of about your passion, how you love working there by when you said, okay, I love talking to people. That's why it's so much joy for me to reach out to them, talk to them and get to know more about your customers. But I also heard that you you liked your job because you think that you're making a difference, especially when in terms of security and trust. Can you tell me mm. what other things make you love your job and go to do it every day, except for Saturday and Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> There are times when I have to do it also on Saturday and Sunday. And it's, it's, I think it's the learning for me. I do not come from a cybersecurity industry, but I love everything that's related to computers and programming. And it's always been a hobby for me. And somehow it just comes to me quite naturally. You know, anything that's technical, uh, especially computer related. Every time I learn about something new, every time I learn about, like I also used to, when before, uh, not before, but as I was a head of customer success, I also used to train people on the tool. So I used to travel the world a lot and, you know, train actual companies to also use the tool. And through that training, you're not just, it's not a one-way teaching. Like you're not teaching the other person, but it's also there's some kind of input coming from them. And I think that is what keeps me on my toes at this job in a sense that every day there's something new that I learn, not just about the tool or the industry, but also about managing people and just like tuning myself to be a better person. And I think that is super motivating for me. I'm happy. I also really enjoy like in every aspect of the job, this learning experience. And I'm yeah. happy that you put accent to it, that in every job, there's so much to learn, especially when you're interested in the field. Exactly. And the yeah. other question, which is related to it, what are the challenging things at your job? Maybe also some, some difficulties that you face. Yeah, I think quite a lot of things. There are, of course, the industry is so vast and there are so many people that I speak to who are like 
like really out of their league in terms of what they do 20 years 30 years experience and i am like you know i have like three and a half years or so experience in the field totally just cybersecurity, right and if i have to speak eye to eye with somebody who has been in the industry for 15 years it's that's that's a huge challenge so i don't i don't see that negatively but most of the time it really is like especially when when it, when you're thinking of this perspective from the perspective of building a relationship with somebody and you're not able to see eye to eye, there's a huge mismatch, right? And to bridge that gap is a, is one of the biggest challenges. And it's something that you don't, you know, overnight, there's no click and you're like, cool, I found a solution. I know how to approach it. It's a long term thing. It's like you, I need to, like if somebody talks to me about particular terms, I need to look it up. I need to put some time and effort into understanding what does that really mean? And how does that, what does it translate in terms of product features? Or what does it translate in terms of, you know, things we need to improve as a team? I think those things are are definitely, you know, things that, that take time to scale up to and also are things that really require a lot of, lot of energy. I can totally understand it and I can totally relate to it. And when you were talking about that, I had a question in mind, any tips on how to deal with it or how to always find strength in yourself not to be frustrated about it? Yeah, that's a really good question because I hit this wall so often. Like, I think it's super important sometimes to go easy on yourself because as people who are responsible for teams as well as, as for you know the company's kind of bottom line as well, you tend to be really also as like someone like me who's like a typical asian ch- child who's like you know been told that hey you know you you should always achieve a lot and you know that sort of a thing it's so you you keep kind of um, you know you're really hard on yourself and that that is what drains you out it's not the expectations of other people it's not it's not that you're not doing a good enough job it's the expectations that you have for yourself and uh, oftentimes I consciously need to tell myself, hey, look, you know, you're doing your best. You're doing 100%. If you're not doing 100%, then let's let's try to give it 100%, which is I've never really had a case where, you know, I've, I've not given it my best. But even though I've given it my best, I'm really hard on myself like, oh, I could have done that better and so on. I think the first thing is to like just lift your leg off the of the accelerator and take a break. Like there are days when I just, you know, I, I have blocked out two days of my calendar in, in, in the week, like Mondays and Tuesdays. I do not take meetings. I just work on a few things and that's not process related. That's literally operational work, you know? And those are the days I can really like introspect on, you know, my work. Okay, what am I doing? What are the things that I need to do for the week and so on? And the rest of the days is like full force ahead. Then again, two days of Saturday, Sunday break. And the Saturday, Sunday kind of gives me some, it helps me think about the week retrospectively and apply that a bit on Monday and Tuesday and then go ahead into the week again. So I think regular breaks, not just, and I don't mean like, I think there is also this misconception of like, oh, a break means, oh, I take two weeks off and then I come back and I'm at it again. Sure, it maybe works for some people. For me, this regular kind of, you know, stopping and going, stopping and going is what what really helps helps me not get not get frustrated often. Thank you so much for the insight. In the first part of the, the interview, we discussed about a little bit about your profession, about your industry where you work in and your daily work, the challenges and the excitements of your daily job. And in the second part, I would like to talk about your studies and how actually you ended up being head of customer success. I know that your your background is so interesting, which you also mentioned a little bit in the first part, that you 
have a technical background, you like working with computers, and now I'd like to deep dive into the specifics of it. So can you tell me the, the storyline of what happened actually after you graduated <laughs> from school? How, how did you know where to study? Actually, what do you study and where? And uh, the, the story of, of, of yourself and your background? Yeah, that's also a, a very interesting question because of like, I always look back on this and I ask myself the same question of like, okay, how did the dots kind of join in to, to where I am right now? Yeah, so looking back now, I think my bottom, bottom line was always to kind of have an impact in the world and, and make a difference somehow. And I always volunteered for like Greenpeace and, and you know, uh, everything to do with climate change. I somehow felt really passionately about that topic. So I, through school, and I mean like high school, I was really into computers. I would code all the time. And, and it was like the one thing that made me feel like I could really win at stuff. Like, you know, my parents were very sporty. So they would put me in sports and put me in dance classes and this and that. And I used to really, like, I like dancing and I like sports, but somehow all of these competitive things were not my thing at all, you know? So like, I used to always just kind of not have fun. And, uh, but when I was coding or I did anything technical, I always felt like, oh my God, I'm so good at it. And then I, I it, it never felt competitive. It always felt like you were raising the other person up, right? Like even if you're teaching somebody something technical, it always, it never felt like a competition to me. And somehow I thrived in that environment. So it was always in my head to always go in the direction of science because I, I liked everything technical, not just coding. I liked physics. I liked, you know, everything technical. And when I had to pick my degree, I always, I, I, I wanted to do something electrical because I was always thinking, oh, if I had to like combat climate change, I, I have to work in like the renewable energy sector. So I went into electrical engineering and I did my electrical engineering and I also didn't take computers because I was like, hey, I love it so much. I'm going to do it as a hobby anyway, which I did. I coded all the time. So I took up electrical engineering and then naturally after that I did like a, I did a job in between for like two years. I used to like, I used to manage the quality of like uh, these uh, circuit breakers that was produced at ABB. So I, I used to manage the, the factory line. So I worked in an actual factory and managed like the quality output and like did all this Kanban and all of these other like, you know, 4Q and all of those quality certifications in order to do that. I did that for two years and then I said, okay, you know what? My mission was always like to work in like this energy industry and in climate change and so on and so forth. And let me go do my master's in power engineering. And um, my dad said, look, uh, you know, we've spent so much money already on your education. If you can find somewhere cheap, uh, go right ahead. And I was like, cool. And then I was just applying all over Europe, right? Because obviously the US is like really expensive. So I applied all over Europe also because I really wanted to move out of India, live somewhere abroad. And I never had the inkling to live in the US. I wanted to live in Europe. So when I did, I looked at all the universities. There was like the TU Munich, there's TU Delft, there's Eindhoven, there's like, you know, universities in Denmark, which are great for wind, wind power engineering and so on. And somehow TU Munich just had like a really robust kind of curriculum. But they were so selective and I never thought of myself as someone who was extremely good at tech, like, you know, like my electrical engineering subjects, like I was always kind of average. So I told my dad, like, look, uh, there is this university, but I don't think I'm going to get in. So like, like, let's just figure out the money situation. And he was like, but you should study in TU Munich. That's like, that's where Bayern Munich is from. And it was like a very weird, like, you know. So like, I'm just bringing all of this together because it's like very odd things that actually come together to make the life for you somehow, which you don't realize. So 
He said, yeah, you know what? There's Bayern Munich there. <laughs> I'm sure it's great. And I said, okay, yeah, let's try. Let me try the interview. And I really honestly gave the interview and I'm like, there's no way I'm getting in, right? Because they're like, oh, we had 3,000 applicants. We're choosing 25 people. And I'm like, yeah, no way, no how am I getting that? And like, I just like, I was feeling so sad of the interview. I was just sitting and refreshing the page constantly. And that light turned from red to green in front of my eyes, which went from like, okay, still processing to like accepted. And I was like, what? <laughs> what just happened right now? Um, so that's kind of where my Munich journey started. And then I did my power engineering. And, um, you know, here I also did, uh, I was also part of the CDTM. So it's it's basically this honors in technology management program that's quite popular in Munich. And it's for the students of TU Munich and LMU. And it's more of an entrepreneurial program. So they teach you really like how to build processes, how to scale companies, how to build products and so on. And I think, for me, that was always like the goal. I never thought of myself like as as I did power engineering, I'm like, okay, I don't see myself working in like a wind turbine plant or like even a power plant for that matter, because I'm not so technical. I cannot thrive in a research lab, for example. I am a people person. I need to do something that's both, you know, business strategy and people related. And through this, I did like a lot of internships and so on. Some things that were very technical, some things that were very non-technical. And I tried a mix of different things, basically. And, uh, you know, eventually one thing to led to another, including like the network of people that I met. I think that's super important to state because it's also at the end of it, I think you always think, oh, your studies is what is going to lead you to a particular place. But it's you can't be far, further away from the truth because it's the network you build, it's the people you meet, it's the things you learn from those people that kind of come together at some point. And for me, that was exactly the case. Like it was just the network I built throughout my studies in Munich, including the CDTM network. And when the CEO was starting up this company here, he was he was basically moving the company from South Africa to Munich. He said, hey, Aish, you know what? You used to do like a working student position for me in, you know, when you when you were when you were studying your master's. And now we're scaling this part up. And I know you want to do something that's people oriented as well as technological. And this is going to be perfect for you. And so I said, okay, cool. And it was just like the CEO and me in the beginning trying to scale up this company, which already had 10,000s of customers, like customers was in problem, acquisition was in the problem. It was literally kind of reverse engineering how to make them successful. They knew the tool, they bought the tool, they're paying money, money is not the problem, literally process problem. Like, you know, we're reverse engineering everything. So it was quite a cool, like that, that's kind of how things kind of came together. And I can't be more happy to be honest. So. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's it's just a mix of a lot of different things. And but but that being said, I will not say that, you know, you know, do whatever you want to study and then in the end you can be whatever you want. I think a lot of things that I do right now is related to the technology and the things that I studied in in my master's and my and my bachelor's, because it really teaches you analytical thinking, it really teaches you how to put one and one together somehow. And uh, sometimes I see that. It's super important when you're working. Most of the companies now are so technical. Everything has a web app. Everything has an as a as a mobile app, right? Every company is so technical. I think it's super important to to be able to balance the two. You cannot be completely on the business side, and you cannot be completely on the technological side. And that's what works really well for my role. I'm very technical, but I'm also very people oriented and business oriented. And I think the combination of those three is what really works for my role. You know, when people talk about their past, it just seems all to make sense. But when you were talking like, oh, yeah, my dad told, let's apply because the football club is from there. It's just all, <laughs> this, all this little decisions that you make along your life. 
that bring you to this point. And it was so interesting that also that you mentioned that, okay, studying is great as well, but also having a network of people Mm. can sometimes show you the way is also very important and also like going with your gut feeling sometimes you know like okay just still trying although if you think like oh no um I wouldn't maybe go into it or or something like this 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 internal you know hesitant feeling I think I think there's a huge aspect that one you need to like like learn to train your gut and I can't say that enough like you really have to listen to it because it's it's really an instinct and it's so hard and the second thing is don't try to plan so much into the future. Like I think when you're young, you're like, oh, when I'm 50, I want to do this. And when I'm 30, I want to do this. There are so many things that happen along the way that are not in your control that you cannot foresee. And I think it's important to plan, but not so much in the future, because I think there are some things for me, it's always important. Like I ask myself, okay, what's going to make me happy in the next year? And am I working towards that? And I try to kind of build towards that. It does not make sense for me to think about, oh yeah, when I'm, when I'm 40 and 45, I want to have blah, 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 blah. I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And I think that's super important to also like think about already in your twenties, like, okay, what do, what's going to make me happy in the next two years or three years, really short term. And I think it's also okay to like say your dreams out aloud because that's how they kind of come to life somehow. Like you, 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 you manifest them somehow, but it, it really depends on so many things. It's not just like, uh, you know, like people who have made it to the top, they tend to give you this, this, this feeling of, oh, it was hard work all along. You know, I, I slogged my ass off and I, I came this far no it's the people around you it's the it's the luck that you had on that day it's the energy you had on the day that you gave the interview you know it's the fact that you weren't sick on the day of that like life-changing interview it's all of those things so I think it's it's very important to to think about factors also that you do not have control on and just do the best that you can and also like trust that good things will happen as long as you're like you know consistently putting in effort I couldn't agree more I loved what you Mm -hmm. said about that that okay, the lies, just don't like this specific, you know, this interview, oh, what are you going to do in 10 years? Yeah, this like all this weird interview things. However, (laughs) I love what you said is also from my own experience that, okay, you can, but some things are not planned and you get frustrated when things don't happen your way. And that even, you know, that that doesn't make your life easier. Mm -hmm. This like you think, oh yeah, I have to do this, this, this and that. And then some unusual things happen that you cannot do that thing anymore. But what you said, yeah. when you just look a little bit, not so far ahead, you can still manage yeah. it. Also understand yourself, like how you said that, okay, you always like technology, but at the same time, along your studies, you understood that you love dealing with people, that you will love working with them. And you found some kind of a middle ground between being too technical and um, also talking to people. Which yeah, is absolutely. which is where you are right now. So I love. Yeah, that. I mean, if you also if you also think about it, like when I was doing my graduate studies, like nobody told me about like a role called customer success even. So you don't know, like you know, in some years time, there's there are gonna be roles that you may not even have thought about right now that you could be a good fit for. So don't always like think about what is in the in like you know like don't always think about the roles that exist right now. Think about it in the sense that just train yourself to be better at what you do, what you see as your key competencies and become better and better at it. And either someone will hire you for those competencies or they will make a role for it. You know, that's that's all you have to care about. You don't have to worry about 
oh yeah you know software engineer is kind of the only bucket i fit in like don't don't worry about fitting into a bucket just like worry about making yourself like that's that's also what i tell my team you know is that it's not about your role right now it's not about your you know uh, the pay you're receiving right now it's not about any of that it's about the fact that if this company goes bust tomorrow do you guys still have the strength and the ability to show it to the next company that's going to hire you and have you know show the values that you learned in this company and that's my goal that the team has those kind of capabilities inculcated in them that no matter what happens they still have a different role that they will fit into and i think that's what people need to look at not just like oh yeah i want to work at like google in this role no like by the time you graduate that role is probably going to be obsolete or not cool enough anymore definitely so, and i yeah. think that your team is very lucky that you are training <laughs> them for a like for a different life as well right not only inside the company but also think about the bigger perspective that they sh- yeah. that they can have while yeah. you were talking about your like decisions that you made uh, like i was thinking why you were into computers at all in the first place that's also a funny story generally really into like you know i was an only child and i really liked anything new and my dad used to always buy these like you know new tv a new computer a new vcr always the person who'd figure out the remote and i think it just happened like organically my dad got a thinkpad like an ibm thinkpad when i was 6 maybe and he taught me how to use paint on it and actually even before that <laughs> there were when i used to go to his office like the receptionist or someone would would teach me how to press shift and one or shift and two and then there'd be like exclamation marks and like you know the other special characters basically and this was way before microsoft office or like the, it was just this uh, what do you call it like a terminal screen or like a, a command screen and i was just like you know typing those things and i used to be very fascinated and this is even before i could read okay so like it was very fascinating that this made signs and like i could do those things and i think that just kind of built up over time like there was a aspect of like oh my god if i press something something happens and then even in school like at a very early age in india they already inculcate computers as a part of your cur- curriculum so even like in first grade i already was learning how to like code with like you know this this programming language called logo which i've never heard of anywhere other than like in india in school like it's very weird i don't know what logo like <laughs> i don't know who uses it so they used to teach me like they used to teach programming and stuff and then very early on already i knew how to like do like powerpoint like when i was i think 10 i knew how to make powerpoint slides and like you know like do math in excel and like create like all these crazy sort of things so it was just kind of there all the time and i was always really good at it in a sense that i was always like um you know winning these powerpoint competitions and <laughs> that was a thing even like you know there like powerpoint competitions in school and stuff like that i think that just kind of ramped up that way and then i somehow like and i changed schools a lot so every time i went to a new school i'd still realize that hey my computer competencies is really good compared to like everybody else in the class that's crazy and that obviously like gave me more and more momentum like teachers would recognize me and be like oh wow you you're actually really good at this and we didn't know you were like you know like compared to the rest of the class and i think that that fueled me more and more and more and more and then you know in 10th as well like in in when i was 15 in high school as well we had to pick a six subject and i learned java like throughout like three years of java and nobody learns java that young like you know i've seen in europe and everything like you don't know people who in school learn java so i think it just kind of happened organically somehow and i think it just 
it felt like my space you know it wasn't like playing basketball or playing something competitive where i had to like show the audience that i was a good dribbler it was my space i could like just sit in front of my computer and feel like i was winning at something without necessarily proving it to anybody and i think that's i still feel like that like i don't feel like i have anything to prove to the world per se but like as long as i'm happy and i think computer gave me that computers gave me that safe space to do that and that's that's kind of how how i how i've always enjoyed it and how i grew into it Wow, I got I got goosebumps when you were talking about it because you talk about it so passionately that I can really feel through the screen how you <laughs> how you love doing this thing. It's so 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 cool. And that's an interesting story actually, how you found this way because you know, like computer engineering or like electric engineering, it just like scares me even this combination of this words. <laughs> Like yeah, electrical uh, engineering I think is just like uh it's a, it's a it's a whole other ball game and I think that's why I also picked it <laughs> it's it's really things that you cannot see that you cannot kind of like see in front of your eyes coming to life unlike computers right like when you're programming you can actually see wor- things working with electrical engineering you're just told that like things exist and they exist like you just need to believe they exist and look there is some science behind it exists so it's I think it gets very tricky. So I feel like if you've ever, if anybody's done electrical engineering, it's like a huge like tick mark because like it's a struggle. It's honestly like it's it's like a, it's quite a. You really need to be dedicated to the subject in order to like learn those topics. But yeah, I'm digressing. But yeah, <laughs> can you give an example of like a couple of subjects that you found interesting and challenging when you were studying electrical engineering? Maybe one to maximum. Yeah, so interesting and challenging. So I really liked high voltage DC. Uh, I used to do really well at high voltage DC subjects, like you know, um, in in India. And then when I came here, I failed that subject thrice because I just was like, oh, I know it really well. And then it's like really advanced master level of that. I've always also liked some of the mechanical topics, which are quite close to electrical, right? Because it's all energy related. So here I got the opportunity to explore that in um, the TU Munich. So. I did what is it fluid mechanics I really like fluid mechanics I still am very passionate about fluid mechanics anything to do with turbines anything to do with like oh water is moving and something rotates and then there's electrical energy and all of that I I love that so I think that was also very challenging like I think 80% of my class did not take fluid mechanics because they were like okay we're going to fail in this if we take it so we're not going to take it and I was like but it's so exciting i get to like you know work with turbines that's so cool and i actually took it and i regretted it when i had to write the exam but i passed luckily the first time but um, yeah i think those two were were quite exciting but at the same time challenging what is high voltage dc ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, god it's been so long since so basically it's just uh, you know it's a better way to actually transfer power from like far off places It's actually uh, i think uh, a high voltage uh, dc line in the north sea in uh, in the north of uh, europe and uh, that it's just a more efficient way to actually so every all the current and ele- electricity that comes to our house is alternating current which means it goes in waves it comes in waves and dc is not really it does not come in waves it just comes as a, as a constant power so there's always like a constant voltage to it and the reason i liked it is because it saves power so because of this alternating what that happens is like the energy goes back and forth because of which there's a lot of loss of energy which means like the amount of energy being generated by a windmill for example is really getting reduced and we're losing a lot by the time it comes to our homes but the dc high voltage dc is that it, it's pretty much lossless like there's no you know loss of energy 
until it hits your home. So for me, it was interesting because I was like, wow, this is revolutionary. Like it could change the way we look at electricity. Yeah, that's 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 basically what high voltage DC is. First, you told me that you liked the subject and I felt that you liked the subject because you explained me so many examples that I really understood what you were uh, talking about. It's, it's like <laughs> something completely new today, like completely new. So interesting. There's actually a movie on it. It's called The Current War. And uh, it, it's about the war between Tesla and Edison. And Tesla has the direct current and Edison has the... Edison, by the way, is the, the also the person who's... Uh, who's founded General Electric, the GE that we know of right now. So yeah, they're basically fighting with each other because they want to make one of the others mainstream. And uh, they're basically sabotaging each other's work by like, you know, it's just like electrocuting an elephant and saying, hey, look, alternating current is so dangerous that even an elephant dies. And yeah. It's all, it's all in that movie. So anybody who's also interested to get to know more about that or get inspiration. Yeah, it's also like also a really cool movie. movie. It's generally a really cool movie. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Wow. That's so interesting. So the when you said about like, yeah, in electrical engineering, you study what you cannot see. And then you gave electricity as an example. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you have to have a good imagination, you know, just to yeah. actually go through the subjects, especially when you told that they are very difficult. Yeah. Great. It's it really <laughs> so interesting to, to hear your about your background. I'm really impressed because it's it's i would say like for most of the people it will be very difficult even like thinking about it even trying to understand it's 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 a like a challenging thing maybe we'll talk about it later as well and i would say like to wrap up generally the big topic about your profession and also your studies um what kind of personality traits one should have to actually study electrical engineering uh, except for you said you should have a lot of patience to go through the subject you should have a stamina <laughs> stamina to sit and then like really learn what else do you have as advice that one can improve in, inside oneself just to really go through the studies wow that's a that's a difficult one i think you need to find a and i think some people who do their phd say the same thing and I can't compare electrical engineering to a PhD for sure, but I think you just need to be passionate for the subject. I think what kept me going was just to learn more about something. And even though like I'm, I'm awful at exams, okay, like I, I, whatever I know, even if I'm like good at it, I'm, somehow in exams, I just never showed. So for me, the classes were interesting. For me, learning something new was interesting. And I think you need to find a factor in any subject you take, whether it's electrical or whatever, you need to find a factor that keeps you going and don't, this is exactly the point that don't do it because someone someone asked you to do it because you're going to lose that motivation really quickly. Don't do it because you think it's cool and in because you're going to lose motivation really quickly. Now we are coming to the last part of our interview. And there I would like to touch up on the topic where you are really interested in as well. And you are doing a lot, I know about it, which is the topic of women in the tech industry. You are a woman in tech. And I know that there are generally less women in tech than men. How would you say, what is the reason for that? Why there are less women in tech? Yeah, that's... Uh... You know, I was I was asked this question once before, and I and I thought about it quite a lot. I think there's a huge cultural difference because of which I see this gap here than more than I did in India, for example. Like I mentioned earlier, 
technological kind of learning was a part of everything that i did from childhood right it was seen as cool as well like i think that is that that's a huge part of what you pick at the end of the day is oh my god you know how to run a computer and you know how to write a piece of code that is so cool you know getting that kind of recognition is what drives you into a particular field um so i think that is one of the aspects that you know early on itself that a child or a girl especially is exposed to different aspects of life and this is not to say that there are people who are genuinely interested who may not recognize the field exists and then there are people who just aren't interested at all they're more interested into the arts or they're interested in music so it doesn't mean to say that oh just because we need more women in tech that we start teaching everybody technology and kind of again fit them into this technological box but rather give them the option like have this option open for those who want to access it right especially like if you look at the german kind of school system you're told at a very young age that hey because you're not good at science you're not good at math you cannot you know continue in the sciences you cannot continue in in whatever field this was for example not the case or not the situation that i was put in right because if if i was put in that direction i would have not been in technology at all because i was actually quite bad at math right and if you segregate children from a very young age saying that okay you're not good at particular subjects therefore you cannot take up something and grow into that i think that really limits a lot of people and also scares a lot of people because at a young age you always want to be successful you want to be more successful that's where you have this competitive spirit that's really high it does scare you and for me i didn't have to think of of what i'm going to do in my life when i'm 30 uh, when i was 8 already so i think that took a lot of pressure off of me and i think in generally globally if we want more women in tech especially we just need to make it look cooler and i think that's the biggest problem that it's not seen as a cool thing it's seen as a nerd thing it's seen as a like look at look at pop culture look at like movies look at american you know movies the guy who's coding always is like this uh, best friend of the actual hero of the movie who's like this guy in a really dirty hoodie who eats a lot who doesn't care for girls you know the the people in tech are just portrayed also as not so cool and only even like look at even the book on mark zuckerberg right like he looks <laughs> he looks really like you know like not the kind of guy that you want to grow up to be other than the fact that he's rich and all of that but he's not the kind of guy that you look up to and you're like oh i want to be like them no you want to be like the jock you want to be like the cheerleader you want to be like those kind of you know you want to be the musician and what if you're if you're good at that great but if you want to be in the tech industry i think just generally pop culture and everything around you just tells you that it's not super cool it's like this nerdy thing and i for example luckily as a kid i was not exposed to so many kind of uh, you know stereotypes uh, movies or exactly stereotypes even so i think it's 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 really about about making the feel cool so that people at least give it a passing glance as opposed to just kind of say that i don't i don't want to be classified as a nerd So like one of the I think what you said the big uh, challenges that are preventing women to be more in tech is the early childhood experience of having this stereotypes that something is not cool enough and also that they don't have opportunity to go into it. I didn't have so much opportunity and also even how it was taught it was presented in such a difficult way that you know like it scared me to be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah, yeah. It's also not, sure. not like uh, making it cool, not giving an option, but also it really depends that teachers try to make it so easy and so interesting. 
that mm-hmm. might help, I would say, especially with the science subjects, right? The same with math and, and physics and chemistry, that it's all made so difficult even from the start when you when you just yeah. start studying it. Yeah, okay. exactly. I think it you 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 also try to you're really trying to like as a as a kid, you have so many options and you're really trying to get a foothold of things. And I think it's hard to also focus your attention, focus a kid's attention on one particular thing and say, okay, you know what, you need to be good at this. And they just, you need to be able to give all the options. And also, like I said, give them the option to try it out and be successful at it and not just kind of look at it and be like, oh yeah, I know chemistry. It's not really fun. You know, like give everybody the option to be successful at it. I think I had the advantage of being successful at a lot of different topics at a very young age. I failed a lot at like a lot of different other things that, you know, I obviously didn't grow up to do, like become a dancer or something like, you know, not my thing. And that's the same thing. Like if you reverse things that somebody's actually willing to like put their effort as a 10 year old or even a five year old into coding and fail at it and be like, okay, yeah, really, this is not my thing. And it is not, you're not taking that decision based on stereotypes or because you were not given the option to even try it out, right? Yep, totally agree. Uh, How about, for example, let's not talk about the early ages, but when you already grow up, when you are graduating from school and you want to go to university, you didn't have so much exposure to tech field or neither try to do coding or you don't know much about the computers. Can you still go to computer engineering, computer science without having any knowledge and how to actually encourage people to do so? Yeah, that's, I think this is, this answer would have been very different 10 years ago because I see a radical shift in the industry generally. Everything that's computer facing, it's become more open and welcoming, which means you could have studied anything that you know you studied in your early ages, but at any point that you realize, okay, this is what I want to learn now and this is the area I want to go in. There are internship opportunities. There is opportunity to learn things online. You can learn to code online. I learned SQL. I learned Python, everything online. Um, and um, you can learn all of this online and literally recruiters and any other company who wants to hire you look at how good you're at coding. They don't look at your grades. They don't look at like, sometimes when I'm doing interviews, especially for technical roles, when I'm doing interviews, especially for entry-level jobs, entry-level, you know, you know, engineering roles, I get transcripts. Like I get transcripts from students of like, you know, what they studied and what grade they got. I don't care. Like, I don't think any technical recruiter actually cares for the grade that you got, but rather giving you the practical and you're able to, you know, decode that. And I think in order for you to be able to decode that, you just need to have learned something by yourself. So either you do your internships or you learn something online, you learn from your peers. I think networking in the technical community is super, super important because it's super important to also learn about like what's happening in the industry and what kind of ways are people tackling the new things that are being developed in the industry. It's important to join your local meetup group, for example. There are a lot of different things that you can do. And I don't think it's necessarily, it's that necessary that, that you know, you kind of, there's, there's no straight path to it, especially in computers, there's no straight path to it. I think there are different ways that you can enter it. And it's all about your motivation and, and your willingness to be a part of multiple things, to learn different things and keep your ears and eyes open. That's really cool. So what you said is that in the, in the last years since you graduated yourself, the industry has shifted into more giving opportunities to 
people in generally if they show any interest to support them and then grow in them and if needed give more practical experience as well uh, through internships exactly. or some different programs or hackathons right there are so many exactly, exactly. interesting things currently that you can try even if you are not studying computer science maybe if you like it you can code um, and then show some stuff that you are really interested that you have some like theoretical background that you're trying to do yeah exactly so the funny thing is I have this also this meetup group for uh, women in cybersecurity in Munich. And just, I think earlier this month, I had a talk with the cybersecurity analyst, Sonia, her name was, and I have the recording there. I can also, you know, share it if you want to link it. This is literally the journey of a person who was a business consultant, who is now a cybersecurity, like a world-renowned cybersecurity analyst. Okay. So she talks about exactly the same things, building a network, learning the tools, you know, going to hackathons or capture the flags and then slowly building up from there. And she's also like really well-traveled. Like she's like, you know, built her own group in South Korea and now she lives in London and so on and so forth. So it's very interesting. So the more people, especially like, because I'm very exposed, I'm, I'm quite biased to the cybersecurity industry. So I can't speak for all of the computer science kind of, you know, everything that encompasses that, that umbrella of, uh, you know, the term. On the cybersecurity side, everybody I meet is somehow either self-taught, was like, you know, has did something else, but came to something else. And now they're doing this and they enjoy it now. So I look at it from that perspective where, you know, hey, there's this world of opportunities. There's a lot of learning programs out there. Companies just expect you to have like a bunch of like, you know, coding knowledge. And it's not limited anymore. It's not like how it was for our parents where you need to do like a bachelor's in finance in order to be an accountant. No, like, you know, you... You can do whatever you want and still kind of if one fine day you realize, oh, there's something else that's cooler, there are opportunities for you to grow into that role as well. So, yeah. How to start actually? Like if you are interested in, in let's say, coding or in tech, how to start at all? Because that seems the most scariest thing, to be honest. Yeah. So the first, first thing I recommend anybody to do, and, and I also like mentor a lot of women and they have this similar question. The first thing is find someone who can guide you, who's already in the industry. Like, I don't think you have to do it alone because it can be scary. It, it's, a, it's, it's a very brave and courageous thing to do. And without having support, that's very difficult to do. So find somebody in the industry who either is your peer who's doing really well in the industry, can even be someone you look up to in the industry. LinkedIn makes everybody accessible, so does social media. And especially in the tech industry, it's such that people are willing to help. And this does not mean that you you contact like, you know, I don't know, like uh, uh, yeah, Bill Gates or like Mark Zuckerberg or someone is like, hey, can you mentor me? No, but there are people who maybe are not loud and in the media, but are still very successful and excellent at what they do. So really like get into like, okay, who does what? Like uh, get into like org charts of companies and see somebody who you're like, oh, this guy's role looks interesting. Let me talk to him. People are very open. To, to actually giving you insights on that. So try to find that and usually either find it locally so that you can meet someone for coffee. Like I had the advantage also of having like two or three different mentors in different industry who would always say, yeah, you know, business analytics is not so great for like blah, 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 but you can do this and this. And they would tell me like, you know, why don't you do this Coursera course and this, da, 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 and this is what is coming up now. Like big data is coming up. So why don't you do this? You know, they would really like, you know, point you in the right direction. I've heard also people sometimes just say, yeah, you know, you can just Google like what are the things that are needed for that job description. And I think that also works, but that is if you're fixated on a particular job, that if you say, 
i want to go to this particular like i want this role and i want to work in this role then you can look at like different job descriptions on like job portals and be like oh this is kind of what the basic requirements are and and then pick up on those skills you can do that as well but it's very hard to take that decision when you're literally just looking in a direction and you're like i want to get into the tech industry i don't know where to start so i think there it helps a lot to talk to people like talk 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 don't be shy don't be don't be worried about what people will think of you nobody's going to think anything of you it's it's for you so like find the professor who inspired you to look at that field find the friend who inspired you to look in that field find the person in the industry who who stalk you saw and you're like oh my god i totally want to be like him find those people talk to them and ask them literally like okay look this is where i am right now this is where i want to go what courses can i start on how can i get there and i think talking to people gives you real life on site insights of like hey yesterday this was cool today it's not cool anymore so i think that's 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 what's important great thank you so much that's really what you were telling is like lots of important piece of advice and i have actually the last question before we finalize our interview is you already gave lots of tips but maybe i thought you have more is If you could go back in time and see your younger self Aish sitting there uh what kind of advice would you give her about career The same thing I tell myself now which is more of a more uh, recent realization is to believe in myself and not care about what others expect of me So I think that's that realization I think should have come earlier and I think that would have uh, maybe I don't think it would have changed things but it definitely would have really given like a different perspective I think on myself but I think that's that's super important like believe in yourself and just you know go for it like you know if you if you want to do something just do it don't don't care about like what is expected of you don't care about like oh I'm supposed to do blah 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 in order to blah 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 like you know don't also don't think of really think of your happiness i think that's also super important i i don't think when i was young i was thinking of happiness i was always thinking about like oh when i grow up i want to be vice president of la 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 you know <laughs> and there in that equation there was nothing to do with i want to be happy i want to i want to have a life and i want to be able to work and find satisfaction in my work there none of those elements were in there and i think looking back i would tell myself like find things that make you happy and believe that you can manifest them and, and make them come true Thank you so much for sharing your realization because behind that there are like uh, years of thoughts and and all this experience that you had and you are sharing with this in one moment and I hope that people will also uh this words will get into their hearts and they will also start thinking about this. So that was the end of our interview. I really thank you so much for taking time and and sharing your experience with such an amazing energy. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And thank you so much for all the interesting questions. Really had to like rack my brains for for answers, but yeah. As honest as I could have been. <laughs> <laughs> thank you.